Our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 11. Matthew 5, 2 through 11. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is the word of God. Be to God. You may be seated. Join with me in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, for your living active, powerful, sufficient, inerrant, and infallible word. Your word is indeed life. And we are reminded again this morning that we do not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Lord, I pray that you would bring us this morning face to face with our living Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, strengthen us, encourage us. None of us, Lord, this morning are here by accident, and nothing you do is a coincidence. So speak to us. Speak to us in such a way that our hearts are stirred, our minds are challenged, our hands are strengthened so that we would continue to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, this gospel that we love, and this Savior that we treasure. We need your help to do this, Lord, so be gracious to us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Christianity is a singing faith. It's actually one of the things that followers of Jesus are known for, really in every culture, all over the world, in every time period, all over the globe. Christians gather together, as we're doing here, and one of the things that Christians do when we gather together is sing. Most churches devote about a third, maybe even a little bit more time in the Sunday morning gathering to singing, congregational singing. And a lot of churches invest a lot of time and energy and effort into the musical side of worship. In our uh, Finish the plant initiative here in the last several months. We've uh, kind of looked under the hood, if you will. We've, We've made some changes here, some electrical system and so forth, monitors, et cetera, that, uh, that, that I trust will be a blessing, that already are a blessing to us as we gather to worship because singing is important. God's people singing is important. And for those who maybe didn't grow up in church, maybe at one point you just had a lot of questions or especially even now for, for those outside of Christianity and outside of church, this whole idea of corporate singing Congregational singing can seem 
crazy, even laughable. I have a friend I met uh, several years ago. He, he came to Christ later in life. He grew up in England, and so he was a huge football fan. And as he would say, the real kind of football, soccer. And so he was used to attending all these football games in England with 60 or 70 or 80,000 people. And he said, you know, the only time I can remember singing with other people was when I attended those football games at the football stadium and everybody was mostly drunk. So then the Lord began to work on him and he began to come to church. And as he started coming to church, he said, you know what, the, the weird thing was, it, it wasn't the preaching that confused me. It wasn't the giving of tithes and offerings that perplexed me, and it wasn't even this meal that they ended Sunday worship with called the Lord's Supper that bothered him. He said it was the congregational singing that weirded me out. And I remember him saying, I, I just didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with a room full of people who all looked basically the same, who all stood at the same time, and they stared ahead at the same person leading, and then they sat down or they stopped singing at all the same time, and he said, and none of them were drunk. <laughs> so that was a bit of an adjustment for him as he started to come to Sunday morning and engaged his heart with the Lord in song. Now, I think for most of us here, that's, that's not your experience, that's good. I think we're sober, which is also very good. But that doesn't mean we don't have questions about singing, questions about music, questions about what happens. Why do we sing certain songs on Sunday morning and not others? Uh, some of you are coming from other churches and one of your questions is why are the lights on all the time? Why don't we darken the lights when we sing? All, we have all kinds of questions actually when you think about it as it relates to this issue of congregational singing. And so this uh, five-part sermon series, really asking the question, why do we exist, working through our mission statement here, is, is hopefully going to be helpful in answering at least some of those questions. Now, truth be told, and we're in church, so I'm going to tell the truth. I had originally intended this to be one sermon, and the topic was congregational singing. And then I Talked to Dave a month or so ago, and he and I began to pray and think about it. And we thought, you know what, it might actually be better if we just include this in a little bit longer series because we continue to grow as a church. Some of you are brand new with us. Some of you are relatively new, and so you're just getting your bearings and your footings here. And so I hope that this will be helpful and a blessing to us all. Now, to be clear, the reason that I really wanted to spend at least one sermon on congregational singing it's not because we're lousy at it. It's not because I sit there and I listen and I think, man, we got to fix this. This is terrible. Not at all. I am personally grateful. I've been personally edified. I'm so thankful for our musicians, those who lead us week in and week out in our congregational singing. So, yes, Mike and Dave and our musicians. I'm thankful for the, the people in the booth back there that you Rarely ever see unless something goes wrong, and then we all look at you. Uh, but thank you for making sure that mics work and that we have uh, words on the screen and the, the technological gremlins are kept at bay. We are, we are satisfied through you and your hard work each and every Sunday. So everything I'm saying here and what I will say here really comes from a posture of, of grace and gratitude. But as I said, with a growing church here with many new faces, it's easy for us to come Sunday after Sunday and, well, just make a lot of assumptions, especially about our music, our style, 
the philosophy of gathered worship. And so I think it's important here for clarity's sake so that we're all on the same page and for good godly growth. So this is an area where we can grow. Some of you may not sing much at all. Some of you may sing, but you don't look very happy. I'm glad you're happy, brother. Amen. And I realize when I'm saying that, that look, we're There's a lot of emotions going on in every one of us, aren't there, every Sunday. And there are barriers. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But but I I want us at least, I, I want you to be able to see when you walk away from this service this morning to at least be able to say, you know what, singing with God's people, with my brothers and sister, that's not something I want to take for granted anymore. It is a gift. And it is a blessing that God uses to satisfy me. And by extension, to satisfy all of us. So last week we looked at how our gathered worship forms us and shapes us and molds us little by little into the image and likeness of the one that we are worshiping, Jesus Christ. And again, there are several ways that this happens on a Sunday morning. Last week we looked specifically at that, that first primary way. It's a pathway of grace, expository preaching Today our focus is on that second pathway of grace, congregational singing. Let me read again Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. We looked at this last week. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So again, the God of the universe promises to bless certain people. And God clearly has different ideas on who those people are that will be blessed and that are blessed than maybe you and I do and certainly than what is popular and cultural acceptable. Who are the blessed in our world? I mean, who's got, who's got the good life? Now, as a University of Michigan fan... When Coach Harbaugh says, who's got it better than us when they won the national championship on Monday night? All Michigan fans say, nobody. And for that night, yeah. If you're a college football fan, you like the University of Michigan, apologies to everyone. (laughs) Nobody's got it better than us. But I am absolutely certain that Jesus here in Matthew 5 is not talking about football. American or British. Who's got the good life? Who really does have it better than us? You might look around and say, well, I can point to a lot of people who I think they got it better. The rich got it better. The popular. The Instagram influencers. Those who make the rules. The lawmakers. Celebrities. The comfortable. Those must be the blessed people. Right? Well, the Beatitudes here in Matthew 5 tell us something completely different. It's not that rich people or powerful people or popular people can't be blessed by God. It's that simply being rich or powerful powerful or popular in and of itself is not specifically an indicator of God's blessing. So who does God's blessing rest on? God's blessings rest on, verse 2, the poor in spirit. The people who who know they need 
Jesus. The people who understand they can't live a moment without him. Blessed are those, verse 3, who mourn. Men and women who, who mo- grieve over their sins, who, who lament in this world of suffering that it's broken, it's not how it's supposed to be, and who slow down long enough to cry out to the Lord for help. They are blessed. God's blessing comes, verse 5, to the meek. All those who walk the hard path of humility day in and day out, taking responsibility for the commitments that God has given them, what's right in front of their face, while also acknowledging that there are so many things outside of their control. Blessed are the merciful, verse 7. Those who, who actively are asking God for even more mercy, receiving his mercy so that they can be merciful to others. Blessed are the pure in heart, Verse 8, blessed are men and women, boys and girls, who make it their goal to please Jesus, to live a practically holy life and are quick to confess their sins when they fail. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 9, those who actively pursue peace, and if you're going to actively pursue peace and peaceful relationships, it will cost you. One of the One of the great joys that I've had uh, in the last couple months, I'm teaching the junior high, senior high class. We are working through a series there on Sunday mornings on resolving personal conflict. In case uh, you you wondered, teenagers deal with a lot of conflict. And, And one of the things that we talked about this morning, you know, I said, we have to fight for peace, but not fight in the way the world fights. That's that's a deep, dark hole. But we fight for peace in a way that's honoring, God-honoring, and we're learning how to do that. Jesus says, blessed are those people. Blessed are the persecuted, verse 10. Not because they're persecuted because of their own sin, because of their own stupidity, but simply because they're not going to follow the way of the world. They're not going to go with the flow. They're not going to try and fit in because it's popular. And finally, blessed are those who are hated by others. Why? Well, simply because you love Jesus. Because you're a follower. Because you're his disciple. And then we get to our beatitude, verse 6, which is actually a a summary. It informs the the beatitudes that uh, are are before it and then after it. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because God promises that you will be satisfied. God's divine blessing comes to those who hunger and thirst for him. So let me ask you, who's got it better than us? If you're a Christian, yeah, we can honestly say nobody does. Doesn't mean our life is easy. Doesn't mean we don't walk through hard challenges. But who's got it better than the people of God who... Who can wake up every morning knowing that their sins of the previous night don't condemn them? Who's got a God who is actively working on your behalf to do you good, to bless you? You don't have to wonder if God will hear your prayers of forgiveness. And you don't have to wonder if Yet we do sometimes if maybe I've exhausted all God's grace for me. I have prayed the same prayer of repentance for years. There's been a little bit of movement, but maybe, maybe God finally says, you know what? 
the, the well is dried up. No, God is not stingy with his grace. He's generous, he's kind, he satisfies us. So we keep going back to him. We keep asking him for more, more grace, more mercy. Lord, I need more wisdom today. I need strength today. Who's got it better than us? And on Sunday mornings, by God's grace, he satisfies us. Yes, through his word that is preached. And in this second pathway of grace, as we sing together. So, brothers and sisters, I want you to be satisfied this morning. I don't want you to leave here hungry or thirsty. I want you to be satisfied and nourished and strengthened. I don't want you to miss out on the blessing that God has for you here as we gather week in and week out for 90 minutes. And so when it comes to the second pathway of grace, congregational singing, churches like ours have more options than ever before. There are literally thousands of songs to choose from. No music leader, no pastor can keep up, frankly. No one church can sing all the great hymns of the past or all the latest and greatest songs that we might hear on the radio. No musician can excel in every available style. And so what often happens is this leads to conflict. And maybe you're familiar with the phrase worship wars. And sometimes, regrettably, to our shame, that's exactly what happened. Should we sing traditional hymns only in a traditional way, or should we try to funkify our songs? Make them a little bit more or less contemporary. Do we want an edgy punk feel or more folksy? Bluegrass or jazz? Choral music or metrical psalms? Some of you are thinking, what's a metrical psalm? You can look it up, it's the real thing. And I haven't even talked about instruments yet. What instruments should we have? Should we have every instrument played in every song? Should we only have certain instruments on certain songs? Are there songs where we shouldn't play any, any instruments at all? And what do we think about the harmonica? I mean, it, questions like that can make you dizzy. And it makes me, again, really thankful for our gifted musicians here, for the godly folks that we have here up on stage to lead us week in and week out. Now, we're not going to answer every one of those questions. I'm certainly not this morning. But I do want to give us some guiding principles as we think about congregational singing. Okay, three guiding principles. Here's the first one. Congregational singing is for God's glory and the edification of the body of Christ. When we gather to sing as we do on Sundays, ultimately, that is to glorify God first and foremost. And as we do that, and as we make that our goal and our aim, yes, you and I will be strengthened, edified. We will be built up. God is the one that we want to impress. He's the one that we most want to honor. So our singing is directed to and for him, the worthy one. Now, if you're tracking with me, and if that's really the case, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we glorify God when we gather together here on Sunday mornings to sing? Well, congregational singing, brothers and sisters, is inherently a theological exercise. It's a theological action. It is, in fact, yes, part of the teaching ministry here of this local church. And so musicians, yes, pastors, elders, leaders, at some point we, we do this. There's a question that's, 
that's always kind of lurking. And that question is this, and it's really a question for you. If you learned your theology only from the songs that we sing on Sunday morning, no home group, no Bible studies, no nothing. If the only way that you learned your theology was from the songs that we sing on Sunday, what in fact would you learn? What would you know? What would you believe to be true about God? And perhaps 20 years from now, what will you know about the cross, about the resurrection, about the Holy Spirit, about the Trinity, creation, justification, the church, and many other fundamentals of the faith if you only learned that from our singing, from the songs that we sing here? That's a weighty question, isn't it? The Apostle Paul understood the importance of singing, God's people gathering to sing. There's two passages here that I'll read for us in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Paul gives us a brief but, but very pointed exhortation for us as God's people on the importance of singing. Let me read Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything. Well, I take that to mean that includes singing. Do everything, including singing, to God. Now, in both of these letters, and these were both written to, to young, fledgling churches in the New Testament. These were written to churches probably a lot like ours. Kind of a mixture of folks. They're just kind of getting their foot and getting going. Paul's words there about congregational singing come in a series of exhortations about what it means to be a Christian. What it means to, to live a, a life worthy of the gospel worthy of this new identity that they have been given by God's grace. So for the Colossians, Paul says, look, Colossians, you have been raised with Christ. And to the Ephesians, Paul appeals to them on the basis of them becoming his children. They've been adopted by God's grace. They are now his beloved children. So what Paul is saying to the to Colossians is, Christ has raised you up. This is your new identity. This is who you are. And what he's saying to the Ephesians is that you, you have been adopted. God has put his steadfast love on you. You are his beloved children. So Colossians and Ephesians, when you come together on Sunday mornings, sing. Sing why? Sing because you are no longer who you once were. You were dead in your sins. God has made you alive. You were rebelling against God. 
wanting nothing to do with him at one point. And God in his grace has chosen you and called you my beloved, and you're now adopted. So if you're here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a beloved child of God, you actually have good reasons to sing. In fact, as God's people, we have every reason to praise God in song. And that's one of the reasons, brothers and sisters, why scripture is actually pretty expansive when it comes to this whole issue of singing and God's people singing. There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible, close to 50 direct commands outside of the two passages that I just read for us. And as a command, those, those aren't helpful suggestions from God so that you, know, you can kind of connect with him a little bit better on a Sunday morning. We are commanded to sing, which means that God intends that we actually obey him and sing. And what I love in both of those passages, what Paul does, he, he doesn't place parameters on that. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't, he doesn't nuance it. Paul doesn't say, sing if you're really happy. Sing if you feel like it. Sing if you're in the mood. Sing if you're not tired and you've got enough sleep. No, the, the command to sing is to sing. He doesn't even say, when you sing, please try and stay on key. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say, sing beautifully. Sing softly. No, he just says, sing. He doesn't say, sing when you're older, you've been through Bible classes, you've been in home group, you're a more mature believer, now sing. He doesn't say that. All God's people, every age, male and female, are commanded to sing when we come together on Sunday morning to worship him. And we take seriously this command to sing. Why? Because heartfelt praise doesn't always come naturally for us as God's people, does it? Every Sunday, there are all kinds of barriers. External barriers, yeah, but no barriers more prominent than the internal barriers, the things that we wrestle with every Sunday that would seek to keep us from lifting up our voices to God in song. So if we're actually going to sing for the glory of God, to glorify God as we sing, what that means then, brothers and sisters, is that you need to have some understanding of who God actually is. You need to have some understanding, in fact, of the gospel. What makes for good singers on Sunday morning? You know what my answer is? Good theologians, good theology, knowing the kindness and the mercy of God, knowing that you were dead in your sins and he has made you alive. He has raised you up and this is a gift from God. It's not because you and I deserve this. Then how can we not sing and respond to him? So congregational singing is a theological action. It is rooted in our understanding of the good news of the gospel. In other words, you and I will not sing or not sing very passionately if we don't understand the goodness of God for us. And when you consider that God has held nothing back from us, he has in fact given us his own son. Well, why would we just be content to give him the leftovers of our affections? Doesn't God deserve your wholehearted praise? Is he not worthy of your praise? 
does he need to do something more? So church, when we gather here on Sunday mornings, we're, we're not singing for ourselves. We're not singing for other people to hear us. We sing for God's glory. Why? Because he is worthy. He's worthy. And as we make that our focus, when you and I gather here and we say, Lord, audience of one. So I'm going to sing, not just because it's a duty, but Lord, I'm going to sing because you're worthy. You know the, the practical effect that that has? You and I are edified. We are strengthened. We are built up. We are encouraged. We're given hope because God loves to satisfy those who come to him who are hungry and thirsty. Now, there will be times, brothers and sisters, there will be some Sundays where you're not going to feel like singing at all. And it may be because that particular week or you're maybe in a hard season. Maybe there's, you're, you're dealing with the cares of the world, burdened with life. There, there, there may be a grief that is almost unimaginable. And so when you come here on Sunday morning, it's almost impossible to sing. I have had those Sundays. And you know, it's been uh, such a healing balm for my own soul is that when I can't even carry a note, you can. So when I'm weak, I rely on you, my brothers and sisters, to be strong. When my faith is flickering, I'm saying, Lord, you got to help me here. And I can look out and see you praising the same God, rejoicing in the same God, knowing even some of the trials and some of the things that, that you're doing, and yet there you are praising God. And so, yes, I am encouraged and edified. That's how this thing gets done. The whole body is nourished and strengthened, and we grow. Here's the second guiding principle of congregational singing, and it is this. Our songs should have biblical lyrics. Now, you may be thinking, well, duh, of course. But we ought not to just skate over this too quickly. In other words, the most important part of a song, it's not the cool, catchy melody. It's wonderful if they do that. I love singable songs. It's the words. The words matter. Words communicate. So we don't want to make a habit of singing songs where we're all kind of scratching our heads wondering, what is that about? Or what's the message there? If we aren't learning good theology and biblical truth from our songs, then either we really don't care too much about our songs or we don't really care too much about rich biblical truth or maybe it's a combination. So if the words are, are flat out wrong, if they're unbiblical, or even if they're just kind of confusing, well, we shouldn't sing it. I mean, there are, there are so many rich and good and deep uh, songs that are being produced almost every single week. We are, we are absolutely blessed. But our congregational singing should be marked by singing songs marked by theologically accurate words and theologically profound words. So what I'm saying is just because we're singing about Jesus, that we got to do a little bit deeper dive on that. What are we actually saying about Jesus? What's the truth being communicated about him? Are we actually exalting Jesus? There are a lot of songs, and we probably hear some of these on the radio, and I mean, I sing along to them just like you guys do. But you listen and you think, I'm not sure what that really is communicating are songs that reflect the very nature of God, the God who created us, 
and, and who tells us what he desires from us. So when, when that's our focus, when that's our goal, you know, the, the truth is then, boy, we, we have, with discernment, we have such great freedom then to learn new songs that have gospel-rich, good biblical lyrics. And like I said, we're blessed. There's tons of them out there. And that means we can continue to sing old songs with God-honoring and gospel-rich words, and we can sing new old songs in new and old ways. There are a lot of examples in the Bible, in our Bibles, about these sorts of theologically accurate and theologically rich songs, perhaps none better than Exodus chapter 15. It's the song of Moses. This comes right after God had delivered his people, the Israelites, from the warring Egyptians. And, and, and so Israel, God's people, saw God's great power. They saw this great deliverance that he had done for them. And Moses leads them in singing. It's Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 16. We don't have the time to work our way through all of that. I would just encourage you to uh, read through that later sometime this week. Your soul will thank you. Let me just hit a couple of the highlights. Notice, this is the kind of rich theologically meaningful song that we want to sing. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. Why? For he has triumphed gloriously. Well, what's he done? The horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy in the greatness of your majesty. You overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Who is like you, O God, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Brothers and sisters, you cannot sing a song like that and actually mean it unless you know God unless you have seen God work, and only if your God is actually really great and really powerful. The Israelites had just seen God rescue them, deliver them from the hand of death. God had done great things in their midst. They had just experienced, they had seen his great power. And what was their response? As a preacher, I'm thinking, wait a minute, that'd be the great time to preach. Like, that's a ready-made five-point sermon right there. Or maybe you think, well, after God's great deliverance, we should all pray. That'd be good. Here, you don't even need prayer points. Now, obviously, there's a time for both preaching and prayer. But after this great deliverance, after God showed up in a miraculous way and showed his power, you know what they do? They sing. They sing. Has God been good to you? Has he delivered you? Has he done great things for us as a church? Is God, does he continue to be faithful in forgiving all of our sins? Is he faithful to provide for you and your family, sometimes in kind of miraculous ways, but most often in just very ordinary ways? Are the promises of God as true today as they were 3,000 years ago. And will they be true 3,000 years from now? And the answer, of course, is yes. Then sing. 
third, congregational singing is congregational singing. In other words, the main sound heard the voices of us, the voices of the congregation. I love musical instruments. I love when musical instruments are played well. I love hearing a good voice. I just don't want to hear them in place of the voice that really matters when we gather for corporate worship, and that is the voices of the congregation. So if I were to ask you, okay, GCF Valley, who's on the worship team? I think we're all naturally say, well, I saw Dave up there today. He's on the worship team. Mike's definitely on the worship team. And Marissa and Lizzie, they're very skilled musicians. We're really grateful they're on the worship team. And then you think, okay, that, that might be a trick question. So let me read Brinkman's mind. Who's on the worship team? Jesus. Well, yeah, he kind of is the head of everything, isn't he? Who's on the worship team? All of us. You are. I am. We are the worship team on Sunday morning. Now we have different roles. Yes, some of us are on stage here helping to guide others and lead others. But some of us, most of us, just sing where we are. But that's the beauty of Sunday morning when we gather together. We are the worship team. And so every Sunday, it's like worship team practice. Because we are rehearsing for what we will be doing in all eternity. What we do here for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning is preparation for what we will be doing in glory. And yes, we, we want our worship team to grow. We want more boys and girls and men and women to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ for their salvation, who look to Jesus Christ and only him for their hope in this life and the one to come. And then when they show up on Sunday mornings, yes, it's the sound of their voices that are lifted up to him. Now, if you're tracking with me here again, if indeed then we are the worship team, then it means that just because you and I hear a really cool song on the radio on our way home, that might not translate real well on Sunday morning. Because most of us, not all, most of us on the worship team have limited range. And we might be a semitone off or three. So, yes, sing those songs in the shower, belt them out as you do errands, but on Sunday mornings, we want to choose songs that, well, the worship team can actually sing. And whatever instruments we use, they are to serve us, not master us. They serve us in helping the worship team engage with God and sing. So the instruments are not our focus, it's our voices. It's our voices that really matter. And that's why... That's why we keep the lights on here when we sing. And some of you, I know, have been to different churches, and it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why do you, why, like, are we all looking around? No, we're not looking. Audience of one, but we are not performers, and you are not spectators. We're not singing for you, and you're not sitting there bated breath hoping that we sing your favorite song. We're all worshipers. Hello, GCF Valley worship team members. Thanks for being here for practice. Every one of us is engaged and worshiping Jesus Christ. That's why we sing. So I'm going to close with this. Here's the question. And I would, I would ask you just to humbly, but boldly, pray about this, consider this. Why don't I sing? Or if you do, and I know many of you do, why don't I sing 
with more passion or maybe more joy on Sunday mornings. Now, there are all kinds of reasons uh, why you and I might not sing on Sunday mornings or why we might find it hard to sing. I don't want you to leave here thinking, okay, Brinkman just told me I need to sing. It needs to come from the heart. Probably needs to be louder than it is. How do I do that? If you leave her thinking that, then you'll miss the point. If you leave her thinking, okay, before I start singing from the heart, probably the first thing I need to do is actually examine my heart. And I may need a change of heart. So yes, that's true for all of us. Every one of us here needs a change of heart. That is not breaking news. So ask the Holy Spirit to soften your heart, perhaps, to fill you, to satisfy your spiritual hunger, so that when you do show up here on Sunday mornings, yes, you actually are reminded of the good reasons why you have to sing. But I'm well aware that maybe singing in a setting like this kind of just makes you uncomfortable for whatever reason, or maybe self-conscious. Sure, maybe the music is too loud, maybe the songs are too new, maybe you are really sleepy, you're just really distracted. Some of you here may just not actually like to sing at all. Others of you here may sound pretty terrible when you do sing. And you've been told that. Some of you here, though, have voices like angels. But maybe there's just a reticence or a hesitancy to sing. Ronald Allen, he's a theologian, he wrote in his book, Worship, Rediscovering the Missing Jewel, get this. When a non-singer becomes a Christian, he or she becomes a singer. Not all are blessed with a finely tuned ear and a well-modulated voice. So the sound may not be superb. It may be out of tune and off-key. But remember, worship is a state of heart. Musical sound is a state of art. Let's not confuse them. Amen. And amen. We're not concerned on Sunday morning here if your pitch is nowhere near perfect or just slightly off. Because God is not primarily concerned about your pitch. What he is primarily concerned about is your heart. We sing and make melody to the Lord with our hearts. Ephesians 5.19. Brothers and sisters, God, almighty God, hears what no one else can So even if you can't sing a note on key, you can still sing from your heart and give voice to your praises. There are plenty, millions of non-musical Christians in this world. And here's my point. Whatever your reasons are, and maybe you have several of them, for maybe not singing or not singing too much or not singing very passionately, those those can all be overcome through prayer, grace, and yes, some good old-fashioned godly encouragement. Whatever the barriers, believe me when I say this, they can be overcome through prayer, grace, and some godly encouragement and maybe just a little bit of wise planning. Two practical points and we're done as we continue to walk down this pathway of grace. First, You heard me say it last week, and I'm just going to say it again. Come prepared on Sunday morning to sing. Come prepared. For most of us, it's you don't really need to tune up your vocal cords. It's not what I'm saying. As much as you may need to tune up your heart. Tune your heart to do what? 
to sing thy grace. And for some of you, the best way that you can prepare to engage with God on Sunday morning in song is to go to bed earlier on Saturday night. I know. Get a good sleep. Sunday morning actually begins Saturday night. I know, especially parents here, you've probably said that to your kids a thousand times. I continue to say that to my kids, and especially when our kids were younger. That meant Saturday night. In order to prepare for Sunday morning, just... That meant Saturday night was usually pretty busy. We got a lot of baths, we got clothes that need to be ironed, and everything set out because Sunday morning, it is go time. And we don't have time to just like fiddle around. And I remember saying to Becky too, like I, and, and guys, by the way, husbands, dads, like especially, like your role is not just to get the car started and wait in the car. <laughs> so you can be of help here, and you need to be of help. I remember saying to Becky, like, look, I'll, I'll help out in whatever way possible, just don't ask me to do their hair unless you just want to wear a ball cap. So prepare. So you got to think through that a little bit. What does it really look like for you to prepare your heart to engage with God on Sunday morning? Second, and this is kind of a unique one, come prepared to worship between the songs. So yes, we're talking here about singing and the need for that. But between songs, that's not intermission. That's not your chance to mentally check out, okay, I just sang that one song, I really like that song, and now, what do I need to get on the way home? Uh, I got a meeting coming up here, we need to remember to do that, and you kind of go through your list. No, ponder the words of the song that was just sung. Ask the Lord to prepare your heart for the next song. Don't check out, and don't be in a hurry spiritually to move on either. You may need to linger on what you just sang, because in fact, that's that's the Lord's grace to you. That's how he's going to satisfy and fill you. It's because there's a truth there. There's something that he wants to impress upon your soul. So just stay right there and give the Lord a chance to minister his kind grace to satisfy you, to fill you and continue to shape you and mold you into the likeness of Christ. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of music. And even more specifically, Lord, thank you for the, the joy and the blessing it is that we can gather together on a Sunday, week in and week out, and to sing your praises together. Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. And Lord, I'm not quite sure what growth would look like for every person here. I know what it, what it looks like for me. So God, would you be gracious and merciful to us as we ask you and go to you and come to you and ask you to satisfy us and fill us, particularly on Sunday morning. Lord, give us courage to, well, perhaps to sing, maybe for the first time in a long time. Or perhaps sing because we, we know of your goodness. We've experienced your deliverance. We know of your kindness to us. May you be pleased, Lord, to hear the offerings of our praise and worship, not just today, but every day, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.